this week's edition of Debriefing the Law. I am Joel Oster. I'm Chris Marone. And this week's podcast is going to be a little bit unique. We're going to go a little bit uh, out of turn here because today I am interviewing Taylor Phillips about her new book, A Guide to Midwestern Conversations. Now, Chris, she is a funny person, and that's not yeah. just my opinion. I'm just one thing. If I say, "Hey, hey, Chris, I like this person. They're really hilarious. Check out this this posting, this reel on Facebook." No, it's not just my opinion. She won an Emmy last oh. year for her comedy writing for the John Oliver Show. So, while oh, yes. we pretend to have a little bit of fun and dabble here and there. She's, She's actually the in the deal. big leagues. Exactly. Yep. Uh, and so she, uh, she has written a book, uh, which I cannot recommend highly enough, a guide to Midwestern conversations. And there's going to be a link in our show notes to how to buy this book. But Chris, I got to say, I hope this book becomes a sequel. I know you travel. I travel a lot. I think mm -hmm. it'd be helpful to have some guide, a guidebook on how to intersper how to communicate with some certain locals. For example, let me give you a, uh, an example here. If you are in a certain part of the country and someone says, oh, bless you, dearie. <laughs> are they telling you to go fudge off? Yes. Yes, <laughs> they are. Now, wouldn't that be like, nice? Bless, bless you. I love that for you. Bless your heart. Got that one a couple of times. Yeah. Right, right. Or, or, or if someone is saying, you do you, what are they really saying? Go F yourself. <laughs> exactly. Um, my newest favorite one is here locally, and I know it's the Midwestern one, is test that theory at your earliest convenience. Th there you go. Which, which is code for F around and find out. <laughs> And heck no, that is one dumb yep. idea, right? We're, yep. we're not we're not incorporating that. So yes, this yep. book I cannot recommend it enough. So stay tuned here oh uh, yeah. in this podcast. I'm going to interview Taylor, and she is absolutely hilarious. And by the way, a fellow Kansas Cityan, though she Love is it. living in New York City right now, and so she probably has some difficult times communicating with people out there <laughs> in New York City. I know I think I'm in a third world country when I'm out there as far as understanding what they're saying. But hey, there you go. All right. But, real. but before we get to that uh, the conversation, the interview, we have some legal news to unpack. Indeed. But before we get there, I have to give a little bit of word from the sponsor. If you are a lawyer, then chances are good. You know the pressures of CLE deadlines. Chris, when you attend a CLE, I am just curious. Do you do you bring your favorite MyPillow with you when you attend your, your, your CLEs? I would never support such a company, but I do bring my my favorite copy of whatever book I'm reading at the time. There you Usually, go. Hey. you know, the dictionary or something, something a little more interesting than CLE. Hey, I, I have nothing against my pillow. If they want to advertise on this show, hey, shout out to you. Uh, I have not tried out those pillows yet. I like the Tempur-Pedic <laughs> pillows myself, but you know what? I am uh, I am a professional sleeper. I, I think everyone has a superpower, oh, yes. and my superpower is sleeping i can sleep anywhere anytime on anything i didn't oh, yeah so jealous I, I once fell asleep waiting for the family to come back i was in oklahoma i slept on the concrete patio I, that's just my superpower <laughs> i can sleep anywhere anytime i don't really need a my pillow or whatever uh but that being said 
hey, we teach CLEs and we do it where you mm -hmm. don't have to put your eye out uh, just to stay awake. Uh, we um, right. uh, This last week we did one on the Murdoch murder trials. It's probably our best attended CLE yet. And we're going to actually do a replay of that here next month because so many people are, are, have been asking about it. But that's what we do. We try to find fun, interesting topics. Chris, did I just say that Murdoch murder was fun? It, you did, but the case was fun, like in our morbid sense of the word fun, because it was interesting and there was it was salacious and there were so many things going on that in our our messed up world that is there fun. you go there you go thank you for saving me on that I I, I got I you like a, I kind of feel like a bankruptcy attorney it's like hey business is good right now that is great people are falling business is booming. Exactly. All right. Hey, but before we get to this interview, we do got to uh, unpack this week's news oh, yeah. in, in the legal Some world. Brian Koberger uh, was arraigned this last week. I, I One of the things I, I find fascinating about these new trials that are out there is yeah. how to pronounce their name. I, I'm assuming I got that right. Is it Brian? Sure. I, I'm just kidding. I got the I, Brian part right. The, the yeah. Koberger. Do you think that sounds, yeah. is that his last name? I think it is his last name, but I also think us mispronouncing his last name is the least of his worries right now. There you go. All right. So he is, uh, he was just a rain. This is in Moscow, Idaho, mm -hmm. not, not the other Moscow or else they would have already put him to death by now, but he Probably. is in, in Moscow, Idaho, and he has pled guilty though in an interesting way uh, that I had mm -hmm. not heard of before, but he pled, uh, he pled not guilty. I'm sorry, not guilty <laughs> for four stabbings. Of yep. four University of Idaho undergrads. Did you hear about this case, Chris? I did. It's it's sad, right? Terrific. It, uh, it, I mean, this young guy who wasn't a University of Idaho student came out and stabbed and killed four students at at the uh, the Moscow campus. It, um, one of the problems we have about this right. case right now is that they had a tight. Uh, lip or whatever it would not mm -hmm. informa information is not being leaked out and Chris we, we right. I don't want to say we the, the public has no idea what the motive is I mean why would someone Nothing. go in there and stab it's not like this is a boyfriend girlfriend love quarrel they were friends or, I mean, we don't know why someone would break into an apartment and stab a four people to death right and we're probably not going to find out until I mean, gosh, the, the prosecutors got 60 or so days after this arraignment, and he was, to his credit, I need a full stop on that one, to his credit, fish get caught by the mouth. And so he was dead silent. He let his public defender speak. He did everything he should do as, a, as an alleged, as an accused criminal defendant in this process. And I think that's also the weird thing, too is that he's not writing some manifesto somewhere or whatever reasons that, that he allegedly did these acts or taking credit for him. He is doing what he should do, which is stay quiet and let the lawyers duke it out. Well, what we do know so far is that some of the DNA that was found on the knife, uh, the, the, mm -hmm. the murder weapon, that was also a match DNA found on trash outside of his parents' house. He went to the, yep. his parents' house in Philadelphia or in Pennsylvania, which is where he was yep. arrested. And so there was a match placing him at the scene. His yeah. car was seen near the scene uh, for several days, actually. And uh, right. which is interesting. He'd been stalking these people and mm -hmm. apparently, allegedly, 
And then also, uh, he his description, at least that's on his driver's license, matched one of the descriptions. There actually was a survivor from this situation. And so he said, yeah, uh, this is what the person looks like. And that description mm -hmm. matches what uh, um, uh, Brian Koberger looks like. And so that's all we know about this case. So we'll have to yeah. stay tuned to find out what this, this trial looks like. And I believe this trial is set to start in October, and so uh, he apparently did not waive his right to a speedy trial. I don't actually that's that's not a speedy trial. That's it's over a year after, but I don't know how long right. this has been since he actually was first arrested. Uh, it is a pretty quick uh, a trial setting in that regard. Yeah, for a, for a quadruple homicide, first degree murder case to go from arraignment to trial in under four months is incredibly quick. Um, so he probably didn't waive his right. Or yeah, didn't waive his right to speed trial, um, and to pull that together is going to be a Herculean effort on behalf of the prosecutors. That's why sometimes you do need to be careful when you actually bring charges. I know you want to bring charges yes. as soon as you can, but you have to have your case tight, pretty squared. Because if the defendant does not waive the right to a speedy trial, you have to be ready to go pretty quickly. Uh, and so uh, that was a situation here. All right. Yeah. Also, we need to do a Lori Vallow Daybell uh, oh, yes. uh, guilty verdict update. And so since we were last on this podcast, she was found guilty. And Chris, that that does not come to a surprise to us. But what does come as a surprise was the speed of the um, of this being sent to a jury. Because I believe last yeah. time we were on, we were saying, hey, look, this probably the defense is going to have some time to put on their case, and then there'll be closing arguments, and then maybe a verdict sometime in the next couple of weeks. Uh, no, actually, once the prosecution rests, the defense said, we're not calling a single witness. We're just done. Now, Chris, mm -hmm. we now know that the jury very quickly said, yes, this person, is, uh, Lori Vallow, yep. the was guilty of both murders and in conspiring to do the third murder. Was it a mistake for the defense basically to say, we're not putting on a case? Yes and no, right? What case would they have put on? That's that's like in my head, like analyzing the evidence, because we've done pretty deep dives into this, looking at what's going on and, and what she could do. What defense under ethical rules, under ABA ethical rules, could that defense attorney put on? If if they know, like they can't knowingly put someone on the stand that's going to lie. So that eliminates Lori, right? They can't knowingly put on evidence that they know is fraudulent. So what evidence are they going to point to the counter? They can't put on hearsay evidence because Lori and Chad are both still alive. They're not going to put Chad on the stand. Well, right? Chad is the Lori one person on the they could probably call to the stand. Obviously, her, she would ha make that decision whether or not she is going to be called right. to the stand. Uh, well, with and marital so privilege? Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, they would waive marital privilege at that point. But what is Chad going to add to Oh, I did it? Because his, his murder trial is like... I don't know, looming in the next three weeks. That's Chad's true. gonna say, like, oh no, we didn't see the kids for months on end. And da, 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 da. Like, theoretically, again, the theoretically, theoretically what I right. could have done. I could Waxing asked, intellectuals. I could have asked him all kinds of questions and he would have taken the fifth on all of those questions because he would not have answered mm -hmm. a single blessed question. Well, when right. you take the fifth, you can make an inference of guilt. Uh, that it, whatever he would have testified about would implicate him. And so could you have not asked a certain questions 
that would the implication would have been that he he duped her, he tricked her, she was under his spell, things like mm -hmm. that. Uh, yeah, that was the only theory, in my opinion, that would have worked in this case. Right. Apparently, it's not even true, and the lawyer said, "I'm not even going to go down that road." Uh, maybe right. she refused to cooperate. Said, "No, I. She, he's right. my husband. I love him. I'm not going to turn on him." We don't know about that conversation. I do think you and I were in agreement that if she did not go down that road of blaming him and saying she right. was under his influence, she was going to be guilty. Right. She has she nothing. Got nothing, and that's why right. you have no defense. Maybe she's going to do an IAC, ineffective assistance of counsel argument on appeal. But even if that, let's say that, let's ferret that out, right? She does an IAC complaint up to the district court. They say, yep, because you didn't call any witnesses and you didn't do anything, that's an ineffective counsel. We're going to kick this back down for retrial. If the prosecution puts on the same exact evidence, right, and they come back and they put Chad on the stand, maybe Chad has a little bit looser lips this time around because he'd already been convicted himself. So maybe he does take the blame. Right. Maybe he goes, yeah, it was all me. I killed him. I did them all. Uh, Lori had nothing to do with it. She, you know, I did this. I did that. I did this. I took the, I took the duct tape from her house. Of course, her DNA is going to be on it. That's where I got the duct tape. It was all me. Then she gets out. Right. There I mean, you go. interesting strategies, I, theory, right? You hear it here first folks, but it's a theory that won't play out for like another 10 years. Right. Right. It's several years on this. Um, and so, yeah, they are now she is in jail. Uh, obviously as far mm -hmm. as this is different than the, the situation with Elizabeth Holmes, where she was found guilty <laughs> and she is a free woman until they at some future right. date decide to hold some kind of sentencing hearing. No, in right. a criminal matter, you are in jail awaiting your sentencing hearing. Right. You're not a free You're person. Uh, nope. And so she's sitting in jail, but this is, it, it might be a couple of months before they actually ha can have a sentencing hearing. For right. real. Uh, Corey Richens update. And so this apparently is the Ooh. update podcast. Uh, and so this is one that you alerted us to right away. And I don't know mm -hmm. why. Yeah, I am getting a lot of these stories from the mainstream media. What's dominating courtroom TV and things like that. Yep. It's probably just a coincidence that a lot of these are kind of focusing there in the Northwest court quadrant of America mm -hmm. uh, and maybe Idaho and Utah. I, I don't understand that, but Corey yep. Richens, she was the lady who was arrested for killing her husband. And she's the one who wrote a grieving children's book, how children right. handle grief when their husband, when their father is killed, dad dies. Oh, quite man. ironic. Not much of an update to provide, but I w the couple of stories have come out this last week. I just want to bring them to your attention. The first one is mm -hmm. that about a year and a half to two years before the murder, she did take out a life insurance policy of $2 million for her husband and never told her husband about that. And so that's a little weird. Is that like a normal thing? Because I feel like in a lot of these murder cases, like, spouses take out these million dollar insurance policies and don't tell the other spouse. Like I feel my wife would know if I took I, out, like I want my wife to know because I get brownie right. points for, right. for, for providing for her, for taking right. out insurance. No, I guess I have not taken out an insurance policy on her. It's just on me. Right. Uh, I don't know the flip. I guess why would I take out an insurance right. policy on her for a couple million dollars and not tell her about that? Right. Yeah. And I mean, it, it would it would also make sense, right? If he was the support of the household, right? If he was the breadwinner, um, which I don't know, isn't unheard of in Utah that the man is the breadwinner and the woman stays home and raises the kids. Um, that would be something like I would tell my spouse, like, hey, 
Like you're you're doing construction, you may fall off a ladder, you may die, something can happen in an industrial accident. I got this life insurance policy just in case something did happen. Just want to bring it to your attention. And it's also, I don't think it would be out of the ordinary to take out a huge right. life insurance policy since right. he was the breadwinner. Uh, in fact, uh, apparently right. now all the lawyers in the estates are fighting over his $3.5 million estate. Right. So it was a decent amount of money that he had accumulated. But apparently, it's, when we're talking motive here in this case, apparently she really liked the lavish lifestyle. Uh, mm -hmm. She took out a $250,000 home equity line of credit, spent it yep. all. Uh, yeah. yeah, she he stole about $134,000 from the husband's oh. business account, withdrew $100,000 from his bank accounts, spent more than $30,000 with his credit card. So he, she spent an awful lot of his money. So Chris, despite the fact that she had stolen all this money from him, took out these life insurance policies, right. the, the report from this last week was that he was still madly in love with her, which one of the reports this week was that even though she he he suspected her of trying to kill him and drug him yeah. in a previous occasion, he still was in love with her and still stayed with her. Again, Chris, if if um if someone has spiked my drink to try to kill me, mm -hmm. I'm just thinking I'm making all my drinks from there on out. I don't know that <laughs> that I think yes, it's good that he tried to work things out. I'm just saying I would prepare my own food. Right, love is blind though. Love is love is blind. Love love never boasts. Love is not envious. Love does not charity. Charity is love. Yeah. I don't know. All right. I got another, maybe I don't know. Like <laughs> maybe it was like the first person he ever loved, right? Like your maybe. first love could do no wrong in your eyes. I don't maybe. know. I, I, maybe. Maybe look at pictures of her. Google pictures of her. She does not look like a serial killer. So maybe she just kind of duped him <sighs> and said, "No, I'm a cute little sweet thing. I wouldn't do maybe. it twice. I learned my lesson. I don't know. It just it seems a little weird that. But sign here it, and make me your beneficiary. In today's day and age of equality and, and and the Me Too movement and women trying to say we want equal rights, apparently now they are coming closer to equality when it comes to serial killers. We have a lot of serial killers now who are women. I didn't know that's what they're looking for, but you know what? There you go. I guess you got to point it out when you see it. And so I am moving on. Well, we have a special guest on today, Taylor K. Phillips. Now, by way of introduction, Taylor is an Emmy Award-winning com comedy writer for John Oliver. So she's actually a true comedian. Uh, she's a writer for McSweeney's New Yorker and The Atlantic. But most importantly today, she's the author of A Guide to Midwestern Conversation. Hey, welcome, Taylor, to the um, podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Now, you are in <laughs> New York City as we are talking, but you are from Kansas City, right? I am. Born and raised, same house, all 18 years. Um, I, I, everything everything about Royals, Chiefs, everything that like a childhood consists of, that is Kansas City for me. Now, are you a Royals fan and a Chiefs fan? Uh, yes, absolutely. 100%. Okay. There was never... Never a question. My, you know, my NBA loyalty kind of up for grabs. If I ever decided to get into hockey, sure. I've married into a, a Premier League soccer loyalty to the Arsenal. Um, but Royals and Chiefs, that's forever. That's that's never going away. Well, I know we're talking about Midwestern things today because you wrote the book, A Guided to Midwestern Conversation. But I, I like the idea of 
Finally, in the Midwest, we have a Super Bowl champ, Kansas City Chiefs. I am so stoked about it. What I find in hilarious is I'll be like flying somewhere. Has this ever happened to you where I'm wearing my, my Chiefs gear and people come up to me and congratulate me, say, hey, congratulations. As if I did anything other than wear a hoodie. I mean, I I love it. It's been it's been an adjustment. Um like my husband and I went to we went to Spain on vacation a year ago and there were Mahomes jerseys really? in like freaking Sevilla, Spain. Um but for me it's also something that I have to remember when I go out for like a run or a walk in my Chiefs gear because obviously like I'm a woman, everyone I'm a little on guard when people talk to me. Right, right. But um but people will kind of lean out of their cars in a in a way that in New York is a little bit jarring. In Kansas City it would be normal. Right. But in right, New York right. they lean out of their cars and they'll be like, Yeah, Chiefs. Yeah. And at first I'll be, you know, I'll be on my run and uh, you know, I'll be like, don't, you know, don't pay attention to them, you know, they're and then, then I'm like, Oh no, they're they're being nice. They're not, you know, <laughs> doing anything untoward. And, you know, that's what it's like to to have a winning team because, you know, if you look at any 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 Royals gear anywhere in New York, particularly northern New York, like uh, Harlem or the Bronx, it's like it's Bo Jackson jerseys and that's really? it. You know, like I I love Kansas City. I love the Royals. But, like, you know, nobody in New York is, like, no. repping, you know. No, we we we, we, we like, suffer as Royals fans to be sure. Yes. I mean, we basically we're a minor league franchise for the New York programs because once we get a decent player, then the Yankees, the Mets, the Red Sox, whoever, right. they come and pillage our good players. They and we're back yes. to minor league status, and so yeah, that, that's kind of depressing. <laughs> but I like what you said about if you're wearing Chiefs gear, people. They, they do feel like, hey, you're open conversation. I got to admit, I do the same thing. I was flying ah. through Dallas, and it was the day the Cowboys were playing. So a guy was wearing Dallas gear. Why not? I'm going to talk to him about the Cowboys. Yeah. it's And, and um, when I, I remember, <laughs> I remember when back in, you know, 20, 2017 or 2018, when I first started dating the man who had become my husband, okay. um, I got him some royal stuff. And I said, hey, if anybody talks to you, you say, Salvi is great this year. Two years off that MVP season, we're so glad we got him a new contract. Or like, or <laughs> we're really excited about what Danny Duffy's going to bring. And he right. would just repeat it. He would be like, we're really excited about what Danny Duffy's going to bring. <laughs> and just, you know, you got to prep him. Because like, if you're in a Royals, if you're in a Royals shirt now, not as much anymore, but like 2016, 2017, right after we won the World Series. Right. I was like, you got to be, we got to, we got to prep you because people are going to talk to you and you can't just be, um, my girlfriend, um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Now you again you're 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 from the Midwest, you're from Kansas City, and you now you live in, in New York City. Uh, Taylor, have you been checked for insanity? I, I'm just wondering what, what's wrong. <laughs> I don't I see how you can be from the Midwest and live in a New York City. Have you have you missed the grass? Have I missed grass? Well, luckily, wait, 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 I want to make sure we're on the New same. York... We're talking about the yes. same thing here. I'm talking about the green thing that grows in your lawn. I know in New York, <laughs> you might get a different understanding. I'm talking about the green things you mow. That's that's true. You, well, the nice thing is in New York, you don't have to mow. The Parks Department does that. Um, no, we New York actually has a lot a lot of green space, but 
you know, I growing up in the Midwest, I always I did know that I wanted from a from a relatively young age, from high school at least, um, knew that I wanted to do entertainment. Okay. And where it's honestly a little bit more geographically diverse now with remote um, writers rooms and stuff, the that was just you were going to go to New York, Chicago or L.A. Ah. So it has always been um, it, it has been more about what I'm doing here or initially, I would say it was more about what I'm doing here than um, than the place itself. Although I will say now. I love New York and I was actually, I was talking to, um, but that doesn't mean, and I think that there's a misconception, especially among people who are in sort of high intensity jobs, location based on the coast, New York, LA, San Francisco, Chicago, which isn't, isn't the coast, but you get it. That if you say you're from the Midwest, people are like, oh, well, you know, thank God you're not there anymore. And there's this, there's this sentiment that every day I wake up and I just think, oh my gosh, if I were in Kansas City, I'd be miserable. And that's not true. It is a sacrifice, like any other sacrifice. It's a choice that I made to be here to do what I want to do. And yeah, every once in a while I go home, I sit on my parents' porch Right, my parents' right. mortgage payment has never been more than my rent payment since I rent. moved here after college. Like, you know, there are, you know, you run into people at, at the store, you talk to them, being able to cry in my car. I was talking to a journalist named Liz Lenz about this recently. It's like, you can't, cr you have to just decide to cry anywhere in New York City because you're never going to get a private place to do it. So there, there are trade-offs, but it's not, you know, I fled the Midwest to right. be here in New York among the cultured people. And I think sometimes that's that's an attitude that people have. And and uh, to be Midwestern about it, that's just not the case. To be New York about it, they're being freaking idiots. <laughs> There's a little <laughs> bit of arrogance going on, I think, when it comes to New York. Sure. I, was, I interviewed a, a, an attorney friend of mine recently uh, about uh, some, some law cases. And we were talking about Rochester, New York. And he's from New York City. And he was talking about this rural place called Rochester rural Rochester New York to you all is rural that's like farm yeah. country dude it's almost a million yeah. I mean, Rochester is not rural well and it's it's you know it's as spacious as as a lot of places get and like there are some it's you know there's some expanse in New York State and like politically New York State and New York City are very different blah 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 but like you know you can drive eight hours in one state in the United States and hit maybe in the Midwest and hit maybe two right. cities of more than a million people. And, and I think if, if I'm not wrong, you can drive eight hours in New York city and be out of New York city. Is, is that fair? Is that about an eight hour drive oh, from New one into the New other? Oh, of New York city. It's, it's <laughs> not 80 minutes. Okay. Well, it might be eight hours during rush hour. Yeah, a little, a little crazy <laughs> it's there. about a mile, um, but yeah, I mean it's and it's totally it's a totally different. Um, it's a different. I I don't think it's like. I I just think it's different. I don't, right. and I don't mean it like I don't mean it like that's different, like the Midwestern way when you mean that you hate something. I mean it is really an altered, <laughs> comparable but divergent, 
uh, state and identity of like being to be able to walk and bike so closely um but at the same time to have no privacy i did notice how good in shape people were in new york city i guess it dawned on me well yeah you're on your feet all day either you're walking somewhere or you're standing on a subway you're not getting in your car and driving to an office where you didn't sit down but there's a lot of walking going on so y'all are a lot healthier even though you eat that pepperoni pizza hey before we dig into the differences between the midwestern life and and new york life because i really i want to dig into your, your book here but i have yeah. been told i got to ask you a couple of questions first and so okay. it i want to apologize i don't know if these are good questions or bad questions but how did you lose your front teeth that was a question i was told i have to ask you oh my gosh okay amazing so i i only lost half of one of them okay but when i was i was six years old so they were brand new my two front teeth were brand new and i was it was totally it was not malicious at all but a classmate of mine uh we were playing frisbee on field day and a classmate of mine Lindsay warning got me in the face Again, it was not malicious. Okay. It was not, she was not trying to do anything, but she got me in the face. I chipped my tooth. Um, but I was six. So for, you know, 12 years while I'm, we're waiting for my whole face to grow, I would get a replacement tooth. Then I would grow. Then it would come out somehow. I broke this tooth on an M&M. I broke it on a lollipop. One time it just came out. Okay. All those sorts of ways. Um, before I got my permanent veneers. But uh, I went to a, I went to a school. I went to Barstow in Kansas City, which is a preschool through twelfth school. I started in first grade. Shout out to Barstow. That, that shout out to Barstow. Um, go Knights! But I got hit in the mouth in first grade, and Lindsay Warning, wonderful sense of humor, got me a frisbee for my graduation present, and she cut out the safety warning on the frisbee, and put <laughs> it on the box for the graduation gift yes and then because we were lined up for graduation in order of tenure so like she had gone to kindergarten and i had been the one in first grade so she was lindsay warning so she was at the end and the last thing she ever said to me before we graduated which she was not joking she was genuinely asking was she turned around right before she went out to the procession and she said do i have anything in my teeth there you go. And um, so it's amazing. So now I have, I'm on my second set of veneers. I love them. The nice thing is when you want to get nice teeth, but somebody's hit you in the mouth with a Frisbee, insurance covers a little bit more of it. All right. Than usual to get those fake teeth. So that is how I lost my front teeth. Frizzy, Frisbee in the mouth by Lindsay Warning. Had a great sense of humor about it uh, throughout school. Hey, you know what? Uh, maybe I guess you're you're married now. And say for a wedding gift, you could probably give you another frisbee. I don't know. It could be a running gift the rest of your life. That's, that's true. All I'm right. waiting, Lindsay. I haven't gotten a gift from you, Lindsay. That's right. Hey, <laughs> all different kinds of frisbees. Frisbee golf. It's, it's, it's an incredible sport. All right. Well, you you know you're from the Midwest, and I know you avoided the subject in your book, but. You say you're from the Midwest. How do you define someone who is from the Midwest? See, I took geography in college, and, and I was shocked to learn that Kansas 
is not technically in the Midwest. Now, I grew up in Kansas, so that kind of shocked the heck out of me. What, I, I'm not from the Midwest, but I'm glad you kind of danced around that. But how do you define the Midwest? So what I used for the book was, because I knew that this was going to be a contentious issue, was I used the Encyclopedia Britannica, U.S. Census Bureau, like the definition of a couple of sources, and also my personal vibes. Which um, is the most important which is the most important, to define it as the 12 states. And I, w I would say that my definition is as inclusive a definition as you're going to get. I haven't heard anyone really trying to vie for Oklahoma, which I think would be maybe the one state Interesting. that yeah. you could try to make an argument for it. But nobody has said anything for that. If anyone has said anything about anyone, anything being added, it has been about Western Pennsylvania. And... Over the course of kind of thinking about this book, meeting people from Western Pennsylvania, but also thinking about kind of why why I wrote the book, what matters to me about the book, and also, you know, the, the Midwest's relationship to the world at large. My thing about Western Pennsylvania is while the vibe of Western Pennsylvania is Midwestern in a lot of ways, the language is similar, the kind of like... um. You know, th there's a swing statey element, et cetera, et cetera. But when you tell someone from the coasts that you are from Pennsylvania, the response that you get in terms of the respect and validity of your state is very different than if you tell someone you are from Missouri, Kansas, Minnesota, Michigan, Ohio, et cetera. And... While actually Liz Lenz, the journalist who I was speaking about before, she brought up when we spoke, she was like, I don't think Kansas is the Midwest. Really? She didn't think that. She didn't think that. So and where, where did she think Kansas was? I Like the plains. Like it's like kind of Kansas and Oklahoma are kind of their own thing with like maybe some Wyoming thrown in there, which I understand. But then what I posited was that regardless of your regardless of of um politics the way that the country responded this past year to kansas as a state in the abortion vote that they made was to me completely indicative of how the rest of the country treats the midwest which was this complete surprise about something that anyone who knows anything or is curious at all about the state has known for years, which is the amount of news anchors that were like, and Ruby Red Kansas surprises us all with this vote for, you know, uh, which was a vote against government intervention, like explicit government intervention in healthcare, which if you'd been paying any attention to Kansas at any point, you know that they're in a constant dialogue with themselves. They had the first, you know, Native American senator they elected. Like their, you know, their their governor their governor has been a, a Democrat on and off. Like they are much more nuanced and in a dialogue with themselves and have been for a much longer time. But the the general like the New York Timeses and the whatever of the world were like, and this is really shocking. <laughs> and to me, that's the most Midwestern thing is this thing that anyone around you who spent any time with you expects 
and the rest of the world is like, well, this doesn't fit in with the image of this thing that I th- that I had thought about for two minutes until this moment. So that's my argument for Kansas. It's long-winded, but I think it's pretty solid. Hey, you know what? I, I like it. <laughs> I, I, mean, I thought I lived in the Midwest. I thought I grew up in the Midwest. I was shocked to find out uh, technically I didn't, but I like your book. No, you know what? Everyone else kind of used Kansas, Missouri. It just... It, it's the Midwest. I mean, that's, that's where right. we're from. Now, Well, that's the other thing is like, you know, I, like you're from Kansas and I'm from Missouri, but we're from the same place. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like where, like where, I mean, I didn't file taxes, but where my dad filed taxes and where you filed taxes doesn't like, you know, we all go to the same Buffalo Wild Wings to watch the game. You know what I mean? So that's right. I think that was also, that might also have been a personal hang up about Kansas in particular. So what is the what is a, a difference? Well, before we get there, actually, how did you go about writing this book? What, what was your, I mean, what was the inspiration? Was it that you went to New York City and culture shock? And so you wanted to educate all your elitist friends over there in New York City about what we're about here in the Midwest? I mean, well, why did you decide to write this book? I, so I, it initially was a humor piece that I wrote for McSweeney's in 2018 in may of 2018 which feels so long ago um especially now but i it's so i need to come up with a better story because i need to just make one up because i know i'm gonna get asked this question (laughs) but i can't remember what exactly it was but i remember i was in i was at home i was home for I want to say I was home for Thanksgiving. I was. I was home for Thanksgiving, and then I submitted it to the New Yorker, but you have to wait, like, three months in their slush pile. So I didn't send it to McSweeney's until much later. Um, this is all a online humor, blah, 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 that nobody cares about. But And I just – I had remembered that there was a Christmas party that we had gone to, and my father had said something like, you know – this person um, can sometimes have a lot of energy. Okay. And, you know, I mean, you know my father, but for, for your listeners who don't know my father, my my father is a very reserved, like, he's a very positive person. Right. So the most, like, the most negative thing I think I've ever heard him say about someone is... I don't know that I would choose to spend that much time around them. Okay. And that is hit. Like he would set that person on fire. Like that's, that's what right. that means. Yeah, exactly. So when he said something about this person, like, you know, like we have a little bit of a difference of opinion. I was like, Oh, okay. This person might be a little bit difficult. And it was, you know, without giving any details because we all live in a society, like one of the most excruciating human beings I've ever encountered. And all my father had said about this person was just, you know, yeah, you know, not sometimes, sometimes I have to, you know, take a few deep breaths. Like, and I was like, this is such a, this is such a Midwestern thing. You know, you can code the way that we speak right? and we're not, but, and, and I think, and this is what's important to me is we're, it's not a euphemism. We're not being dishonest. If, if I told you as a Midwesterner, and now I'm, you know, I'm in between, so it's different. But if I told you that person is not my favorite, you know, you know, I hated their guts. <laughs> right, 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 right. Right? Like, that's how we say it. It's the same way where it's like, if you say bonjour in French, 
you mean hello in French. It's not a euphemism for hello. It's the way we say it. The way we say, I wouldn't stop to pick that person up on the side of the road if they were bleeding, is they are not my favorite. And in New York, if you say, oh, that person's not my favorite, they think, because you can say, oh, God, I hate his guts. Right, right. In the Midwest, you can't say that. It's too much. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, but that's how we say it. It's the same. It's You're conveying the same information. Right, right. Interesting. Um, so when you, um, how did you go about writing this book? So I, I remember you came down here to Kansas City, and then you took off on like a tour through the Midwest. Is that where you got your ideas, or did you get your ideas from growing up? How did you collect all of these ideas? Well, I got it a couple of places. A lot of it was growing up, but I knew that I didn't want to write a book about the Midwest completely in my New York apartment. That felt disingenuous, um, which is Midwestern for a whole lot of BS. Um, (laughs) And so so I wanted to be – and also it's like I wanted to know what I had forgotten or like remind myself what was – really Midwestern and what was maybe what I just hear from my family. Um, So I went to, I went through Iowa. I went to Des Moines and Cedar Rapids. And then I went up through um, Wisconsin and, um, and Michigan. And I'm trying to think of all the places and like Indianapolis and Ohio. And then back through Missouri and obviously uh, Kansas. So I missed the the northwest or sorry, the very northern part um, because it was October um, and I only had a little bit of time. But and it was and also like I, I was writing this book about the Midwest and I hadn't really seen as much of it as I thought maybe writing a book warranted. Um so I got to see these these wonderful cities and areas and like thriving, very cool, very kind of coming into their own places. And something I, I, I've been talking to a couple of people about this, but there's been a big surgence recently of mid like pro Midwestern merch, like you know Midwest on T-shirts and sweatshirts and like. People are starting to get very proud of their identity. And that was something that I saw on my trip. So it was really about, it, it was about all of it. It was about being surrounded by what folks were talking about. It was about hearing the language. It was about exploring and falling back in love with the place. And I'm going to be honest with you, Joel, I was about a year newlywed. And if I was going to get anything done, I had to get away from my husband, who I like a bunch. But if I was going to write a book... I had to I had to not be around him because all he was right. working from home and I want to hang out with him all the time. Like, I thought you maybe know? you're going a different direction. <laughs> I thought you were gonna go that was oh. where we did our spent our honeymoon. It was up there in Iowa. Oh. I thought who's gonna spend their honeymoon in Des Moines, Iowa? Then I realized, oh yeah, I did. I spent my honeymoon in Des Moines. That's so fun. Des Moines is great. Where'd you go? Did you do fun stuff? It there's a hotel there right by the um uh the amusement park I forget the name of it there uh, in Iowa. My wife is from uh, Ottumwa, Iowa, and so we okay. went to Des Moines. And that's just where we did, spent our honeymoon night there in Des Moines, Iowa. I mean, I loved Des Moines, and I'm I'm going back in like I'll be there on the 16th. So, I I think it's a great place. I would bring Felipe for our honeymoon. I mean, did- I maybe wouldn't, but. <laughs> Did you partake in in the local culture when uh, on your trip? Like, for an, I'm thinking of Iowa now. 
cornhole, mm-hmm. a huge thing up there in Iowa. You mentioned Wisconsin. I'm thinking of the cheese curds out there in Wisconsin. Uh, you take in the local flair? Oh, yes. So when I – so I did not – put like, I was kind of by myself, so I didn't do – so cornhole kind of requires more people. But I did – when I went to Wisconsin, I – I was in, I went to the Milwaukee Art Museum, which was amazing. And then I went to this brewery that also served cheese curds on the water. It was gorgeous. And the brewers were playing, it was the playoffs because it was October. And Locaine was playing for the brewers. So it was very easy to kind of go and, you know, I'm diehard is like i'm a brewers fan now here we are so it was right i mean cheese curds are those things are so good and then i was in madison and wisconsin has this special beer called oh what's it called oh i'm gonna this is bad it's something cow do you know what i'm talking about oh escapes me right now but yeah hold on i'm googling the beauty of googling right you can find things out almost immediately. New Glarus. It's called New Glarus, okay. and it's called Spotted Cow. And Spotted it cow. is, and it, you can only get it there. And so it's so good. But then I and I got some, and I took it with me because I was then, I have a lot of friends in Chicago. So then I met friends in Chicago, but they were all like, oh, you're going to Wisconsin? Can you bring a Spotted Cow? Which is this cream ale. So then that was fun. Then I went to Chicago. I saw my friends. Then I went to, um um ann arbor and there's this sandwich place that the that the university of michigan students love called zingerman's and i went there and it was great and then i went to the umich campus and i walked around there so it was it was really really fun and wonderful i had um i had chili cincinnati chili or skyline chili right right with the thing, which yep. is very good. Whenever I travel, I, I want to do something there local. Now, I, oh, I yeah. had a um, a court case in New York City. This is several years ago, and I was there in court. And the judge said, I, I know you're from the Midwest, and people think people in New York talk fast, but wow, you got to slow down, Miss Rose. You're just talking a mile a minute. Did you notice a difference in the speed in which Midwesterners talk as compared to people from, from New York city, uh, anything like that. That is so interesting. I don't know because I know that I talk so fast. Okay. And I don't know if that is. So when people say you got to slow down, which they've been telling me for my father, I'll be on the phone and he'll say, Tay, I didn't hear like, I didn't get any of that. You're going to have to start over. Um, so, and my um, my in-laws are, my husband's Colombian. And so my in-laws, English is their second language. They speak it totally fluently, but every once in a while, they'll be like, you gotta, right, like, right. you gotta slow down. And I used to, I mean, I used to work in advertising. My bosses, before we would go into a meeting, would be like, now, Taylor, remember, you got to talk slow. So I suppose... I am not the best person to evaluate that because it might be because I'm Midwestern. It might be because I'm a little nuts. Like, I don't know. <laughs> but I do think that it's, I think Midwesterners certainly talk more. Um, and things take a little bit longer because I don't think we're in as much of a hurry. Um, 
But I do think we've got a lot more to get through. Right. We've got our high. We got to check in. We got to do all this stuff because the social element and the goal-oriented element of the interaction are one. Whereas in New York, if you if you're like we have to have an expedited conversation, that's not as much of a social faux pas. I think. Right. Right. I often wonder what it's like in New York City. When I travel in New York City, it's and you're on the subway. It's like no one talks to anyone. It's everyone is just like staring no. straight into whatever they're doing. And I'm trying to talk to people. I'm, I'm, it's obvious I'm a tourist, that I'm not from New York City. And I, I'm on the airplane. I am a talker. Uh, did, did you see? Was, oh, let me see, ask it a different way. Is, what is the biggest misperception about people from the Midwest? Because I'm thinking we're just friendlier. Is that true? Or is that a misconception? I think that that is really interesting because I think that and I and I've talked to a couple of people who have lived, you know, in other places as I've kind of been going and talking about this book. And it is that in the Midwest, if you you have we have so many opportunities to not talk to people. And so if someone is surrounded by people, the friendly thing to do is to connect with them on a human level. In New York, there are much fewer opportunities to be alone and with yourself. Right. And I would kind of argue that it's less friendly in New York to talk to someone who is in public because there are at least for me, right, there are, today I was in three places. My apartment, which is a building that I share with other people, right. in public, or in my office. So there is not a place where people, other people aren't allowed to be. If, you know, if someone were outside my apartment door right now with their kiddo, helping them practice their first steps. They are allowed to be there. You know what I mean? Which right, is, right. and it's great and I love it. So I think that, I don't think that New Yorkers are, uh, friendly is maybe, I would say, yeah, like they're, we're not as friendly. I would say that we are kind. If you ask a New Yorker how to get somewhere, they'll tell you. Okay. It's just that the, the environment in which you're seeing people is different than in the Midwest because in the Midwest you're alone in your house, you get alone in your car, then you go into a public place and you often, it's big enough that you can choose. Are you in a part of the place that's exposed to people or are you in a part where you're very clearly kind of by yourself? And in New York, you're either like you have to decide to be by yourself wherever you are, which is why people sometimes just like sit and cry on the subway because where else are they going to cry? You know what I mean? You right. can't go into a bathroom unless you pay for something, you know? So <laughs> that has got to be a huge difference between <laughs> New York city. Oh and my the Midwest, God. Right here. You can go into any bathroom you want to anywhere. And the CVSs have a bathroom here. The CVSs don't have a bathroom. Wow. Like I, what did I, one time I was trying to get to a, like a softball game. Like the, the staff of the show plays softball against other, other shows. And, but I was like, but I have to go to the bathroom. 
And I know there's not going to be any at the field. So I had to walk and then like, you know, this Starbucks, it's out of order. This Starbucks is out of order. So it's like, I had to go like buy a sandwich somewhere very far off from where it was supposed to be. So I could go to the bathroom and then show up to the softball game. And then I was late. So whereas like, you know, all the parks where you play softball in Kansas City, they got, they got bathrooms, you know, it's a whole different, I mean, it is, it's a whole, you have to think totally differently. And then like, you know. So I I, I, I I think I know the answer to this question is going to be, but okay. I'm going to ask it anyway. So Taylor, let's say you hop on an airplane and, okay. and someone is sitting next to you. Are you talking to that person? Are you an airplane talker or are you just putting in your earphones and you are in your own world for the next two hours? And do you think I... where you're from makes a difference? Okay. So I am, I'm, if nobody talks to me, I will be in my own world. I will be working. I'll be writing. Um, I'm also an introvert. I think that's maybe more of it than a Midwesterner, which is like, I like things to go as I planned them. Right. And so I plan to get on a plane and like read this book or whatever. Um, but I'm not averse to speaking. Okay. So like, you know, on my flights back from Kansas City, often I end up talking to people. But my instinct is not, I'm going to get on this plane and have a conversation. No. That That is a book I would like to, to see written, is how to have <laughs> proper conversations on an airplane. What is the um, the etiquette for that? Yeah. yeah. I guess if they have their earplugs in, it's probably an indication they don't want to talk to you. I don't know. Right. But I'm an airplane talker, if you can't, if you can't tell. But I do follow <laughs> well, certain my, rules. I mean, Right, of course. I mean, my dad's an airplane talk. Well, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's go. very, it's, and it also depends on, it depends on what the conversation is. Like, I don't get on an airplane with the objective to talk. But for instance, like, if I got on an airplane and someone had, you know, a chief's bag and also a, you know, program from a Broadway show, right. I'd be like, well, what's your deal? Because we yeah. seem like we have a lot in common. You, gotta you talk seem about like it. a musical, a musical theater loving sports fan. Let's chat. That's right. So, all right. Yes. There's a couple of things I want to touch base with you on, but first, I, I want to know. Okay, your book is is going to be released on April 11th. April 11th. Right. I've yes. already read it. It's a fascinating book. But that being said, it's going to be released on April 11th. How can yes. people get a hold? What's the best way to buy your book? So. The book is called A Guide to Midwestern Conversation. The cover is bright yellow. It's got corn on it. You can't miss it. Um, I would love if folks, especially folks in Kansas City, would buy through Rainy Day Books. Okay. Um, because, first of all, if you order through Rainy Day Books, it will be signed. Um, and also, they're a, they're a lovely indie bookstore in Kansas City. Um, there are other great bookstores in Kansas City. One is Monarch. They also uh, are going to have some. And then, um, but if you Google it, you will have a lot of options. You can go to the Penguin Random House page. They will have Indie Bound Bookshop, but Barnes & Noble has it. Target has it. Walmart has it. So um, if you Google it, it will have, you'll, you know, you'll have the options and it's whatever, whatever's in your heart. But what is in my heart is if you would buy through your local indie bookstore, that would be amazing. And if you buy through Rainy Day um, and a couple through Monarch, they will be signed. 
Now, how how can my listeners follow you? Um, I hope they they buy the book, and obviously in our show notes here for this podcast, we'll have the, the links there uh, on how they can buy the book and the title of it. Um, but outside of that, how can our listeners follow you? If they're saying, "Hey, look, we we've been watching John Oliver. We know he got he's not that funny. He must have got it from you." <laughs> so how how can they follow you outside of buying the book? Well, I am on Twitter. If you love it, at t a y k a y phillips so tay k phillips i am on instagram if you want to see mostly pictures of me being goofy um that is t k a y p 24 um and then i also have a website if you want to check out some of my other writing and that is just taylor k a y phillips.com i can so those recommend are this the three I, big ones <laughs> i cannot recommend this enough you are absolutely hilarious i have no idea uh, you know, obviously you must have got it from your mother. That's a whole nother story. Uh, That's but, true. That is true. <laughs> but um, I listened to your dad's uh, comedy routine. He is hilarious when he does he's this great. routine about his entire family is just so funny. Uh, and then he's doing open mic night with me at comedy club or whatever. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. Um, so now I want to kind of segue into just another just topic that's going to interest me, uh, probably me only. Maybe there's some connection to the book. I don't know. So you're talking about a Midwestern conversation. I know you to be a basketball player, right? You played basketball. I did. I did. Yeah. I played competitively for 12 years. Okay. And, and so I just finished watching the NCAA championship where I actually kind of got into it because of the Midwestern team, Iowa, that was there. I have family from Iowa. So they're wanting us to watch it. Were you a trash talker on the, the basketball court? How do you see that? that do you see a difference between um, the different locations, areas of the country when it comes to trash talking, or is it all fair game on a basketball court? Here is what here's what I think bugged me about the whole situation, which was, um, first of all, I was not a huge trash talk initiator. Okay. But I was not quiet if I was trash talked to. Um and the um I was also very physical. So like there are there are unwritten rules in our sport. Um there are unwritten rules in girls basketball when I was a high school player. Um you know, one of the big ones that that my sister and I talk about a lot is what I call the the best player backslap or the like if you fought a hard game with the the girl that you're up against, you when you go through the line, you slap her on the back instead of just the regular like good game, good game, good game. You slap her on the back, and you say like we had like we battled it out there. But okay. that's where you that's where you do the respect on the uh, court. You beat the living crap out of each other. Okay. And then the converse of that is like if you are your team's best player, and you are not guarding the other team's best player, which doesn't always happen if like right. you're a guard and they're a center or whatever, then you also acknowledge the best player on the other team when you're going through ah, okay. the thing. And you say like, you know, it's like a respect thing. Um, And so like there are these, un there are these unwritten rules. Like it's like you don't undercut someone when they're going, when they're off balance for a layup, right? Like, right. The only time I have ever, like, one time someone undercut my sister 
for a layup. And I went up to pretend to block her shot and I elbowed her in the face. <laughs> you know, like that, like that's, There's that's how that works. There's statement there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean her, you know, I, it, it was a cheap shot, but she undercut my sister. You know what I mean? Um, and so these are the unwritten rules that we're playing with. And I think something that really bothers me about the way that folks were talking about Caitlin or talking about uh, Angel Reese is that, you know, women are allowed to compete and want to win as much as anyone else. Right. And so when, like, Caitlin Clark dishes it out and she can because she's so good. Right. Like when you beat Caitlin Clark's team, those women don't even think of like they don't. They don't think we beat Iowa. They think we beat Caitlin Clark. That's how good she is. And when you beat someone like that, you're allowed to do whatever the f you want. <laughs> because like the and that to me is the coolest thing about the women's game. Like we have we have a woman who's so good that when these other women beat her, they're like, yes, we beat her. Like, it's a goal to beat her. Right, right. Um, But also, you know, they're out here saying, like, we won. We wanted this. Like, we feel great about it. So, and and that's what she says, too. Like, if you watch any interviews with her, which don't ask her about her game, they don't ask her anything else. They're like, how are you responding to this other girl, like, motioning at you? And it's like, why don't you ask her about all the points she scored. Why don't you ask her about how she gears up for a game? Like, I'm so much more interested in how she plays basketball and what she thinks about the game of basketball than her having to repeat over and over and over again, I don't care that another woman was competing. Stop trying to make me care that another woman was competing. And, you know, we can get into the race element of it, which is like, yeah, Caitlin Clark did it the whole time and Angel Reese is black and everyone was like that's not classy it's like she won <laughs> you know well and, and the bottom line from my perspective is is that you have it's like a boxing match where you know the more trash talking that goes on the more taunting the more the fans care about it and is it any yes! questions the ratings went through the roof and now it's like oh we care about what we're talking about women's basketball here i mean there was a there's an article in the athletic that's like reviewing you know larry bird the best trash talker right. in the nba and it's like you know angel reese is up there like <laughs> she knows what she's doing and also she's got the most double doubles of any like she's got the thing to back it up that's the biggest thing to me controversy is, sells tickets well yeah and it's also it's like you know are you like yeah you're getting in the face of the best women's basketball player in the country right now. You're getting in her face. Why are you getting in her face? Oh, because you beat her in the national championship? Carry on. You know what <laughs> right. I mean? You got to be able to back it up. But she's backing it up. So it's like, yeah, this is what's fun. You know, that's it's when we talk about the, the National Women's Soccer League. You know, when they're playing in the World Cup. And right. Alex Morgan is beating England and doing the tea thing. And Megan Rapinoe's doing her big thing. It's like, you know, do you... The criticism levied at women's sports is it's not as exciting as the men's game. And then when women are getting as amped up and as as theatrical 
as the men were saying, well, this is a disgrace too. I don't know, but, but ratings are up. So people are digging it. They're watching it. They're digging uh, it. You mentioned Larry Bird. You're also thinking of Michael Jordan, the great trash yes. talkers there. And now we got trash oh talkers on gosh. the women's side. And hey, it's all good. It's great. I love it. I'm so excited that so many people are talking about the NCAA game. So many people, this is the thing. So many people know what happened in the NCAA game, that women's basketball game, that didn't watch it. Right. And to me, that's when something is like, you know, how much do you and I know about the Kardashians? And I've never seen an episode of their show, but we know like some of it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, now, how is it that you assumed I haven't seen the Kardashians? I'm offended. I mean, it's true. That, have you seen it? Have you? <laughs> no, I have not seen Great. one. <laughs> Stereotypes are right for a reason. And you, you pegged it's, me on that one. <laughs> Sometimes. I mean, I haven't seen it either, but I don't, you know, I don't bemoan it. It's just not the kind of content I watch. But you and I, we know what's going on there. You know what I mean? Like, That's we right. know kind of the deal. And now that people know kind of the deal of the NCAA National Championship, hey, all I love I know it. Is next year, or are people going to be tuning in more? Because, you, again, be people are talking about it. It's going to be great for the ratings. It's going to be great for the ratings. Maybe they won't make them play at 3 o'clock on a Sunday. Hey, well, yeah. And so maybe, yeah. You went through Iowa. Uh, did you, is, is there going to be a candidate, Taylor Phillips, here in the future sometime? Are you going to do you get a feel for maybe doing the Iowa caucus run for office? Oh, no, I would hate that. I would hate that because for so many reasons. Um, but I I am not a for and I think this is for for being as Midwestern as I am. I'm not a particularly diplomatic person. Um, and I would much rather be the person speaking the extreme reality than living in the world of nuance. And I, that is not a knock on politicians. I love, like, politicians are important and we need them. But I think we also need people like me to say, you know, you don't, like, you you can't, like we kind of know what you're doing, so you've got to show up real to us to a certain extent. I think it's fair to say that politicians are not my favorite people. Is that a good Midwestern sure. uh, phrase? That's to say? a very good Midwestern. In fact, I think. Hold on. There's there's a um, I think the the term I have in the book is um, what is it? I don't really I don't really care for that blank fella <laughs> yeah. about about politicians. Yeah. I don't really care about yeah the Iowa yeah I, I think there's a message <laughs> there a little bit of passive aggressive hey thanks yeah. so much Taylor uh, again uh, for Thank our you. listeners check out our show uh, notes there on how to buy the uh, the book a guide to Midwestern conversation hilarious book because Taylor is a hilarious person thank you so much for being on <laughs> thank you so much for having me. It is now time for our courtroom quarterback Let's segment. Let's do this, man. Right. It has been an amazing week in the sports world. It Absolutely has. love it. There's... Absolutely. I am here for the Denver Nuggets. I am converted to the Denver. Let's let's go, Luca. Like, let's do this. You want to talk of the NBA right away. Right away. Right. right. You know why? You know why? Because LeBron's going home. Now, let's LeBron talk about that. Is LeBron going is home. going home. He was just swept by the Denver Nuggets. I know a lot of people were right. cheering. I thought that what LeBron said right after 
the game was over mm-hmm. shows his marketing brilliance. Because, Chris, let me just paint the picture here. He was just swept four straight games. I know right. in at least two of those games, the Lakers lost because of stupid decisions LeBron James did. Questionable shots mm-hmm. that he took Happened. at the end of the game. Maybe he shouldn't have taken them. Uh, but instead of the storyline being LeBron was just swept out because of stupid decisions he made, what was the storyline right after the game? Is LeBron going to retire? He pulled an Aaron Rodgers. He's like, hey, you know he what? Did. I want everyone to talk about what a great player I am, what a great person I am. Yep. I might retire, Chris. Yep. I, you heard it here. That dominated probably. this morning. It <laughs> don't, I, was, I was at the gym this morning, and all of them, Fox, CNN, ESPN, that's what they were talking about from 5.30 to 6 a.m. this morning was Mar- – Will LeBron James retire? Marketing genius. Because what they should have been talking about was how he laid an absolute egg, was so yeah. outplayed by Jokic, Nikola Jokic, and, and the, the tide has passed. No, none of those conversations. Instead, it was, will he retire? Will he will not he retire? retire? Is the LeBron over? We're going to now talk about this for the next six months, or 11 months, until the season starts again. Yep. No, Chris, let's just, let's just set the record straight right here, right He's now. Not. He's no. not retiring. There's no way he is no. retiring. He is in great physical condition. He can still draw a major crowd. And I remember, gosh, maybe 10 years ago, he said he would retire when he gets to play a season with his son. That's right. And Bronny is, he just committed to USC. So LeBron to, will retire in five years. He has to play one year in college. Uh, no, and yep. then he can be eligible to play in the NBA. And so and is he good enough to get to only play one year in college? I don't know, but he, his, his ranks, he has risen up the ranks quickly. I mean, just a couple of yes. years ago, he wasn't even close and now he's a mm-hmm. five-star blue chip recruit. And so, uh, yep. he is, um, uh, he might be ready to play in the NBA in one year. I don't know, but you're right. LeBron well, it's going to be hard now. Yeah, and it's going to be hard for Brawny because that USC team is actually going to be pretty stacked with Dennis Rodman's kid and a couple other players that Brawny may not shine in his first year. He might not. But right. he so, has James at the end of his name. He will get picked right. up very quickly. For sure. uh, and so I don't know if that's going to be a problem. All right. Here's another thought that I had when I saw that game. So the Lakers were swept in four straight games. The Nuggets looked amazing. But Love that it. being said, the Lakers, who were – Many thought we're going to win the whole thing. They had LeBron freaking James. They had an, mm-hmm. an AD there playing AD. for them. All the role players, Reeves, were, it was just mm-hmm. all coming together. Great team. They won zero games against the Denver Nuggets. This is where I'm going with this, Indeed. Chris. Go. Did Phoenix maybe pull the plug on their head coach a little bit too quickly? Yes. Yeah, I know you lost to the Nuggets. But you still won two games, and you look quite good doing it. And then look how good this Denver Nuggets team was. It just demolished the Lakers. Did the Phoenix Suns fire their coach too soon? Uh, I, You know what? Um, the KD trade is really what I think got him fired. I re- like I, I, you know, I'm still on the KD hate train, and you've heard it every week from me because I don't think KD is the player that everybody else does. But... Um, the KD trade, I really think, did Monty in. I think he laid his career on the KD trade, and he got nothing for it. Which is which is so unfair to the coach. Because right. first of all, mm-hmm. KD is an amazing talent. I love Kevin Durant. I think he's an amazing player. I think he's a head case, to be sure. But when you're talking right. about on the court, he is amazing. But here's the deal. 
he wasn't on the court. He got injured and was sidelined right. for the better part of his time there with Phoenix. So mm -hmm. they didn't really have a fair chance to put this team together. And then during the postseason, right. you lost your, uh, you know, um, uh, Paul, uh, your, yep. your, your point guard. So I'm not sure the coach really got a fair shot. But as you pointed out, that almost didn't matter. You sign KD, you better win the whole thing. Right, that was the Or point. else you are, uh, it's going to be a, a, a waste of a season. And so despite the fact that, that KD was injured, probably over half the, the available games when he was with the Phoenix Suns, and despite yep. the fact that Chris Paul was injured during the postseason, it just, they, they were not going to win. They were not going to beat the Nuggets. So maybe these other teams should be looking to pick up a Phoenix's coach because he is available. Oh yeah, Monty's amazing. And he might have got a raw deal there in, in Phoenix. All right. Now, this now LeBron's retirement or retirement discussion brought right. up another interesting point from my perspective I want to throw out there to you. It used to be America was unquestionably the best place for hoops in the world. We, were, we invented the game. Uh, Dr. James mm -hmm. Naismith invented it. He was University of Kansas' first coach. I, every time I can say that, I throw that out there. Uh, yep, put it out there. Yeah, he was our very first coach at KU. But I'm saying we invented basketball, right? And in America, has dominated basketball. Has it now come to the time when the world has passed America up? Now let me do because LeBron James was unquestionably yes. the best player in basketball uh, over the last 20 years. I will give people that. But his um, retirement discussion made me think, well, if he is gone, who's left? And I did. I pulled up the top 20 players in the NBA. Yeah. Um, do you know where? It, so number one, who do you think is number one? Um, maybe Giannis. Number two is Giannis. Uh, who, yeah. Okay. So, number one would then be. Donick. Yes. No. Nikola Jokic. Or, or Embed. Nikola Jokic was number one. Yeah. Giannis was number two. Okay. Number three was Luka Doncic. Okay, number Luka. four was Joel. I'm sorry. Number five was Joel Embiid. So five. Number four, four was Steph Curry. Five. No, four was Jason Tatum, ironically enough, which I don't understand Ooh. that one. He was the highest ranked American player. Now, okay. you want to go to past Joel Embiid. At six, you got Kevin Durant. At seven, you got Steph Curry. So How do you have Kevin Durant above Steph Curry? Well, you know, he's, he's pretty good. But my point there is Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, they're old. They're graying. They're on the clearly yeah. on the backsides the of out. their career. Yeah. Right? Especially where's, Kevin Durant. Where's the American studs? This is yeah. this list is dominated by foreign players. Our American mm -hmm. stud is Jason Tatum. Really? Well, look at also look at baseball. Right? The Venezuelans are dominating baseball and they're going to come in and the Venezuelans are really going to do a, a, a number on American baseball. Uh, yeah. And then look at the size of, of uh, that area. Right. That's, that's so I think comparison. what I, what I think is happening is that America dominated for a lot of different reasons. One of which was talent. The other of which was wealth access, where the games are played, where they're televised reach, Stuff like that. Could it also be, can I throw in there, drive? Because is it possible that Americans are getting fat and lazy on these stupid video games? These young people are, are I hate to say that, it makes them sound really old, but you know, you get the idea that in these no, foreign because... countries, they're more driven to succeed. This is their way out, sports. In America, yeah, they, they want to play video games. No, I think America's always been lazy. 
I just think we've had the power to mask it from the rest of the world. That we've been so far ahead of the world for so long, we've never really had to work. And now that people are outworking us on a major play and people are looking at it, and they're like, even the number one draft pick that the Spurs are going to pick up is that kid out of France. Yes, yeah, seven foot four. Amazing yeah, so, talent. So I am right. just saying, I think it's it, you pretty. It's pretty well established now that the world has passed America in basketball talent. When LeBron James does right. retire, it might be a while until your next stud is right. an American-born player. The studs also, are going to be from overseas. I also think it's funny that LeBron James wasn't in that top eight. Of no. like he was the listed best number. Players. By the way, he was listed at number eleven on, right. the, on this list. So I, yeah. So if you want to. If you want some interesting analysis, go ahead and Google top NBA players and look at that list and you'll say, yeah, the foreign players are now mm -hmm. taking over the NBA and it's just a matter yeah, of time. But you can't claim to be world champion basketball players and only recruit from the United States. No, not, not anymore. Yeah, right. And that's how it was, right? The world champ, like who, like the 1968 world champions were all Americans and there was no foreign players on the team. And now it's like, you got Giannis on one, you got Embed on another, you got Luca, right? You got um, I, the guy on the Nuggets. I can never think of his name. I always get it wrong. Nuggets. Uh, Nikola Jokic. Nikola, yeah, right? Yes. They're not all on the same team. No. Right? But if you look at the best players of the 80s, it was Jordan, Pippen, Grant, like, or it was like Isaiah Thomas and um, Dennis Rodman and the Detroit Pistons of the 89. Or like... If you look at like the Lakers, right, where it was like Magic and Doctor, you know, and and Kareem, you know, so now it's like you got now, one kind of all over the place. Now, before you get all doom and gloom on me, I will point out there is another player out there who is American, who probably is the best player in the NBA, uh, Zion Williamson. He just cannot oh. stay healthy, and so he can't no, play. Yeah. He can't play half a season. And so the fact he that he's he's a stud of a, of a NBA player, he's an amazing player. He just he can't finish the season. Yeah. So I'm not sure what good that does. All I right. think he was the biggest dud of the past maybe ten years because that kid had such potential, but he yeah. can't. Like he can't. I mean, if he could stay healthy for a season, he could revolutionize the sport, but he can't. I, I think he is an amazing talent, but no, the the dud from the last I don't know if it's ten years. I guess it's just outside of the ten year window. Has uh -huh. to be reserved, and this trophy retired on Greg Oden's shelf. Greg Oden is the <laughs> biggest dud in the Aww. history of uh, the recent history. I feel sorry for the guy, but yeah, yeah, he was the number one pick. Do you know who was number two that same draft? No, the Greg Oden went number one. Number two, Kevin Durant was really. The, they bypassed Kevin Durant to pick Greg Oden, the Portland Trailblazers. Good, good job, call Portland. on that one. Yes. Smart, and smart I'll, decision. You know who picked Kevin Durant? This is how long ago it was. Oklahoma. The no, the Seattle no, Supersonics. Seattle? Yes. Really? His first year was in Seattle, the Seattle Supersonics. That is his rookie basketball card. Oh, my good. That's why you That's come to cool. this podcast, to learn these things. That's right. All right, before we sign okay. off here, uh, I want to talk a little golf. Uh, PGA oh, yeah. Championship finished this last week. And winning, there are two, a couple of really cool stories I thought from the PGA Championship. The number one is an L.I.V., a live golfer, Brooks Kapka, 
won the PGA Championship, and he is an amazing talent there. He yep. is not a PGA golfer. He is a uh, well, I mean, he plays on the Live Tour, and they have been banned from playing in PGA events. Uh, and Bryson DeChambeau finished fourth there in the PGA Championship. So the Live golfers are making a splash. Yep. At what point in time? Will the PGA of America and the other golf heads that are out there say we have to somehow combine these two worlds and find a way that everyone can coexist? Because all I'm saying is if you keep out the live golfers, you keep out Brooks Kapka and Bryson DeChambeau, yeah. it's going to be a worse product. So the, they have to find really a way is. to keep these players in. Because you want to see the best players playing. That's yeah. what you want to do. Right. You want to see the best players playing. I think that they're going to they're gonna assimilate and Great. then have it go. Chris, I want to end here on this story because it's the feel-good story of the week. You play golf, I love right? It. I do play golf, yes. I'm, I'm coming to your house for our golf retreat sometime in the next year. Yep. And you, you're getting your, your spare bedroom ready for me, I believe. Of Is course, that correct? Okay. It's already ready. It's already ready, ready. I'll have to put you on the spot. Um, all right. So we we, we play golf. Chris, it's, I like golf because in my mind, I think when I hit a drive, I just hit a drove this morning that was that was 250. 85 yards down the Ooh, middle of the fairway. Now, unless you think I am actually a good golfer, it, it, I had a downhill slope. I did smoke it, but I hit the downhill slope, so I rolled well, hey, 285. Still 285. Exactly. Still 285. So, and then I hit my approach shot. I, I hit it on the green. I had a birdie putt. I missed my birdie putt, but I tapped in for par. All right. Okay. In, in our Fair. mind, we are thinking that's how a PGA golfer would play. We can be... We can play with you for maybe one hole, right? We, we okay. And maybe if we put 72 of them back to back, maybe we can win a, a golf tournament. I don't know. Do you ever live in that delusional nope. land that I live in? No, because I'll hit one really good hole, maybe two good holes, and then I'll have six really bad holes afterwards. Well, I, I get that, but in my mind, I think that's just no. because I haven't practiced enough. If I quit my nope. job and I just focus <laughs> on golf every day of the week. That's true. Maybe those crappy yeah. holes would become less and less. I say all that to yeah. say there was a club pro there whose name was Michael Block. He is 46 oh. years of age, which I believe puts him between you and me when it comes to Indeed. age. He um play, Now, when I say a club pro, for those of you who are not really up on the sports scene, that doesn't mean he's actually a professional golfer. That's, that's not how you get the word designation pro. Pro just means yeah. you passed a test, so at your local club, you can give golf lessons at um yep. a, a tennis court tennis club you have a yep, tennis pro doesn't mean that guy can play with with nadal or, or federer or joe you know uh, on the tennis court it just means they passed right. a test they know the basic skills and they can teach that sport so this was a golf pro there at, at, at his local golf course uh mm -hmm. michael block he scored an ace so he got invited to the pga tournament to play he scored an ace which, which was a hole in one and uh -huh. he ends up finishing 15th. He won, Chris, get this. He, he won $280,000. Good for him. For that, that finish there. Yeah. Do Good you know for his, him. Do you know what his career earnings were before this game, before, before this week in, in, in golf events? Probably nothing. Yeah. Seven, somehow he made $7,000. There you go. Yeah. Good for him. <laughs> I love that 10 cupness. That's amazing. Chris, what I'm saying is there's hope for us. Hope, uh, hope springs eternal, my friend. We quit our jobs and we just yes. focus and we go to the driving range every day. Right. Maybe one day we can be a PGA I mean, when golfer. I quit my job, I'll be single. So I'll have a lot of free time to <laughs> go to what? the driving range. Every I'm day. not going to say it's a win win because I do want to sleep in your guest bedroom, but I am just saying. <laughs>
for sure. All right. All right. That being said, let me just do a reminder here. Uh, if you do like this podcast, please give us a five star review. Mm-hmm. Uh, hit a like and share right when this podcast gets over with. Go ahead and share it. I know when I hear a podcast I really like, I forget to share it, but we're not big time. So we would appreciate any kind of five star reviews or shares or likes that you might be able to do. Uh, and thank you so much for attending. And uh, hey, Chris, we'll see you next week. See you next week, Joel. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star review. We need your love to help us continue highlighting the funnier side of the law. I want to give a special shout-out to our Vice President of Operations, Wendy Oster, without whom this entire operation would be a complete and utter mess. Sean Wynn and 15.5 Features for making me sound way better than I actually do. Brooke Bolin for our marketing efforts. And Ryan Kuhn and Paul Kuhn of Tri. Plus City Marketing for our technical and computer support.